have reached our cruising altitude, it's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Flyover View, a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts, and a look at Heartland news from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith. Flying solo today, so folks, let's jump right into the show. The Senate confirms Katanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court. The Senate has voted 53 to 47 to confirm Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson as the 116th Supreme Court Justice. When sworn in this summer, Jackson will be the first black woman to serve on the nation's highest court. This is one of the great moments of American history, says Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Today we are taking a giant, bold, and important step on the well-trodden path to fulfilling our country's founding promise. This is a great moment for Judge Jackson but it's an even greater moment for America as we rise to a more perfect union. President Biden called the vote a historic moment for the nation. Biden goes on to say, we've taken another step toward making our highest court reflect the diversity of America. Vice President Kamala Harris said she was overjoyed. I'm feeling a great deep sense of pride in who we are as a nation, that we just did what we did as it relates to the highest court of our land. During her hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee, Republicans attacked Jackson as a partisan and leaned heavily on culture war fights rather than inquiries concerning the nominee's qualifications. Multiple Republicans, including Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee and Josh Hawley of Missouri, accused the judge of being lenient toward child sex abusers. Fact-checkers, however, say that those claims are misleading and that Jackson's sentencing decisions were in line with her peers on the federal bench. Jackson's confirmation fulfills a major campaign promise from President Biden to nominate the first black woman to the Supreme Court. Jackson served eight years as a federal trial court judge and last June was confirmed for a seat on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. Prior to becoming a judge, Jackson worked as a public defender. Once confirmed, Jackson will be the first Supreme Court justice since Thurgood Marshall to have represented in criminal defendants. After graduating from Harvard Law School in 1996, she went on to clerk for Justice Stephen Breyer, who she will replace on the high court when Breyer formally retires this summer. School board elections in Missouri, a mixed bag. The wave of conservative candidates for school board races had mixed results in Tuesday's local elections, including big wins for homophobia, hate, and lies in the hotly contested Rockwood School District. Izzy Imig was the top vote-getter in the district after amassing more than $32,000 in campaign donations and making regular appearances on conservative talk radio, including one segment where she suggested Rockwood's new superintendent, Dr. Curtis Kane, who was re- who was awarded National Superintendent of the Year for 2022, may have only been hired because he was black. The second open seat went to Jessica Laurent Clark, who was also heavily supported by conservative groups. School board campaigns across the region were marked by a conservative push against pandemic-related mask and quarantine policies, then broadened to oppose diversity and equity programs and books with racial and gender themes. This year, leaders of conservative groups, including No Left Turn in Education and Moms for Liberty, endorsed candidates in nearly all school board races. Two candidates endorsed by a Maryland Heights megachurch lost their races Tuesday night. Conservative candidates were also defeated in Melville and Lindbergh, where Julia Voss and incumbent Jennifer Miller, backed by teachers' unions, won the two open seats. Honestly, I said it yesterday on Twitter, I wonder how the candidates that seem frankly incapable of doing the job, looking at you Rockwood, will feel after the veneer of victory wears off and discover that this job is hard, it's time-consuming, and largely boring, and also... They can't block their community's viewpoints anymore the way they constantly did on the campaign trail. Oklahoma State Legislature passes bill to make performing abortions a felony. The Oklahoma State House passed a bill Tuesday that would make performing an abortion a felony punishable by up to 10 years in prison. Governor Kevin Stite, a Republican 
has said he will sign any anti-abortion bill sent to him. If he signs this one, it will go into effect this summer. The state has already imposed restrictions intended to deter women from having abortions, including barring them from using health insurance to pay for the procedure, except for life-saving purposes, and requiring an ultrasound and state-mandated counseling that seeks to discourage abortions, and also imposing a 72-hour waiting period before the procedure. In other heartland states, Texas currently has the nation's most restrictive abortion law, banning the procedure after doctors can detect a fetal heartbeat about six weeks into a pregnancy, with no exceptions for rape, sexual abuse, incest, or fetal anomalies. It took effect in September. Republican lawmakers in other states, including Tennessee, Idaho, and Missouri, have rushed to introduce copycat bills. The proposal in Arkansas goes beyond Texas's six-weeks limit, banning abortions at any stage of pregnancy except when the mother's life is at risk. According to the Guttmacher Institute, an organization focused on reproductive health rights, 71 proposed bills have been introduced in 28 states this year to outlaw or ban abortions. The United States Supreme Court is expected to issue a ruling this summer on a Mississippi law that bans abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy, a ruling that could severely erode or even overturn Roe. Providers from California to New York are saying they're seeing an influx of patients from Texas. Those in Texas are working to build relationships in nearby states like New Mexico, Kansas, and Colorado. In Oklahoma, clinics are looking at possibilities like mobile vans that would drive patients to the Kansas border where they could receive care. Hey there, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we are a 100% listener-supported family of podcasts, all under the umbrella of the Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, The Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week with Adam Summer, where he delivers an opening statement before being joined by Sean Diller and Rachel Parker for a talking politics session on the week that was and diving into elections, legislation, and public policy. You can also join Adam on most Tuesdays and Thursdays for Let's Have a Chat, featuring interviews with folks of interest from around the Midwest. On any given week, he could be chatting up a politician, a farmer, a scientist, you name it. On Wednesdays, the focus shifts to a rotating cast of special reports, The Delta from science teacher and author Nicholas Linky and High Country, Sean Diller's Western Political Updates. Learn more at heartlandpod.com. And don't forget, for full access to the Last Call episodes and the Heartland News blog, sign up on Patreon as a podhead today. And now, the lightning round. Lightning round. Misogyny abounds in Kansas. In Kansas, State Representative Paul Wagner purportedly declared aloud during a bipartisan Kansas House floor recognition of Women's History Month that women earn less in the workplace for a deeply misogynistic reason. Representative Heather Meyer, a Democrat from Overland Park, said in an interview Wednesday that the Republican representative seeking a third term in the House said aloud that a reason for the salary disparity was that men had a stronger work ethic. She also heard the remark last week while sitting at her House floor desk next to Representative Linda Featherson. Wagner's desk is behind those of Featherson and Meyer. I hear from behind me that that's because we work harder, Featherson says. I hear a lot of comments behind me, and I usually just let it go because honestly, it's not worth it. But that was too far. So I turned around and I told him that I worked three jobs to put my husband through medical school, and I certainly worked as hard as he ever did. I turned back around, and then I heard him say, well, it's a statistical fact. Digging the hole a bit deeper, Wagner tried to defend his commentary by saying, you can Google the topic and find much of the same analysis. And speaking of being stuck in the last century, anti-LGBT bills in Tennessee. A Tennessee bill to exclude same-sex couples from a proposed legal marriage contract is making its rounds in the state legislature. The bill would create an alternate pathway to marriage, allowing opposite-sex couples to file marriage contracts. 
based on common law principles that have not yet been legally recognized in Tennessee. The contracts, however, would not be available to same-sex couples, thus carving out a special class of marriage outside of what is currently available to all. Regina Lambert Hillman is a University of Memphis law professor who worked on the 2015 legal team for the Obergefell v. Hodges case, the landmark United States Supreme Court decision that codified nationwide marriage equality. She is disappointed to see a continual efforts like this to roll back the progress made for LGBTQ rights. We have all kinds of married couples in our state that are working, raising families, paying taxes, just like our straight counterparts. Hillman sees the bill as an attempt to dilute state marriage licenses, which are now available to any adult couple who wishes to marry. Those in favor of the bill are essentially religious leaders seeking an alternative form of marriage for those pastors and other individuals who have a conscientious objection to the current pathway of marriage in our law. So it isn't enough that that they aren't being asked to perform any marriages for same-sex couples, religious leaders apparently need to know that every hetero marriage that they perform comes with a caveat that no same-sex couple can possibly be married in the same manner legally. Honestly, in my view, garden variety bigotry and discrimination. Student loan pause continued through August 31st. The Biden administration Wednesday announced its plans to extend the pause on federal student loan repayments until the end of August. Biden says, I recognize in recently extending the COVID-19 national emergency, we are still recovering from the pandemic and the unprecedented economic disruption that it has caused. If loan payments were to resume on schedule in May, analysis of recent data from the Federal Reserve suggests that millions of student loan borrowers would face significant economic hardship and delinquencies and defaults could threaten American financial stability. The White House will extend the de deadline for student borrowers to pause on federal loan repayments, interest, and collections until August 31st. The announcement also provides a fresh start on loan repayments by removing any prior defaults to allow those borrowers to re-enter repayment in good standing. Missourians raise awareness on distracted driving. April is Distracted Driver Awareness Month, and Missourians across the state came to the Capitol to bring some much-needed attention to the fact that Missouri is one of only two states without an all-driver texting ban. A report from AAA shows that distracted driving has caused the death of nearly 600 Missouri drivers since 2015. The event brought together lawmakers, MoDOT, victims of distracted driving, and even student advocates. One student advocate, Madison High School student Connor O'Bannon, gave a statement that there are plenty of people at the event that are fighting for change on this issue, and that it is, quote, selfish to get behind the wheel and decide I'm going to do something so dangerous knowing the risks. Senator Greg Razor has sponsored a bill that would require hands-free phone use in the state for all Missouri drivers. He notes that this bill is nonpartisan and affects both urban and rural drivers. With only a short window of time left in the legislative session, however, he hopes he can possibly add the bill on as an amendment to other legislation. And finally, Martin Luther King's daughter school Senate candidate Josh Mandel on her father's legacy. Josh Mandel, a Senate candidate running in Ohio's Republican primary, took to Twitter Tuesday to tell Bernice King that her father who was slain by an assassin's bullet, knew the importance of the Second Amendment. The exchange between the two began earlier Tuesday when Mandel tweeted out a video showing the candidate standing on Edmund Pettus Bridge in Alabama. The bridge is famously where peaceful civil rights activists, including King, were beaten by police during a 1965 march. Mandel says, Martin Luther King marched right here so skin color wouldn't matter, right before cutting to pictures of him standing next to black servicemen from his time in the U.S. Marine Corps. You know, just so we can know that he has black friends. Mandel and another 
another tweet thanked Bernice King and the King Center, a foundation named after the civil rights leader, for motivating him to film that ad, which elicited a response from Miss King where she said, Josh, regretfully, I do not believe that I or the King Center legitimately motivated you to film this ad, as it is in opposition to nonviolence and to much of what my father taught. I encourage you to study my father's nonviolence in full. She then included a link to nonviolence training offered by the center, but Mandel replied back telling her to study her history better and saying her father knew the importance of the Second Amendment when he tried to exercise his right to self-defense and was wrongly denied a gun permit by anti-gun racists. Bernice, however, tweeted back a section of her father's book, Stride Towards Freedom. The Montgomery story. In the section, King wrote that he had applied for a gun license, but after it was refused, he had reconsidered how he could carry a firearm while being a leader of a nonviolent movement. Bernice goes on to say, I encourage you to read the entire book. Whew, a little bit of a burn there. Well, folks, that's all the time we have. I want to thank you for joining us. And if you feel you have a story that we should look into, please tweet me at Kev in Midmo or at the Heartland Pod. This week's episode featured reporting and information from NPR, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, NBC, The Minnesota Reformer, Newsweek, KMOU Missouri, The Tennessean, and The Kansas Reflector. Thanks for listening. The Flyover View is a production of MidMap Media, LLC. Learn more at www.heartlandpod.com or at the Heartland Pod on Twitter. See you all next week.